G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision. How often have you found that when you're sharing your faith with others, that the conversation comes almost always around to creation? Well, our special guest today has observed that even in a simple gospel message, not even talking about creation, it often comes with questions. Questions like, how do you know God is true? How do you know God is real? Well, Scott Devlin is a geophysicist. He says... Considered, He says, considered response is important given that most people have been taught that all things in nature point towards an anti-God Darwinian paradigm. So we're into a conversation today about how do you give real answers to people who have real questions? Get ready for a great science conversation ahead with Scott Devlin, geophysicist, speaker and writer for Creation Ministries International. Scott is a geophysicist. He's known for modelling velocity analysis for ground-penetrating radar and working with neurosurgeons and neurologists to accurately image and navigate the human brain and spine. Uh, There might be some special things that you might like to ask him about those. Hey, but Scott, a special welcome back to 2020. Hi, Neil. It's great to be back and great to hear that you um, got that big donation in. Well, it was great to have you in the studio a few (laughs) minutes ago to just be part of that celebration. Yes, that is very, very exciting. Hey, uh, let's come to this thought. Uh, I know that you say almost 100% of the time, conversations that you have, and you spend a bit of time talking to people, you're on the streets, uh, almost all your conversations come around this because people know you work with Creation Ministries. Almost 100% of the time, conversations come around to this issue of creation. Yeah, well, I, actually, it's even when people don't know that I work for Creation Ministries at all. And um, and and you're referring to this um, article I've written that's going to be on creation.com in the coming weeks about um, creation and evangelism. And uh, just what I've found is, I mean, since, since I moved here, so I moved here from the UK with my wife about eight years ago now. We moved here as missionaries. Since then, I've, I've infrequently and sometimes frequently um, preached the gospel in my city center here in, in Brisbane city center. And what I've found recently as I've been going in is that I've had a lot of questions about creation. So these people haven't known that um, I'm into creation and um, the creation evolution debate, but they've started bringing it up. Um, I even had one uh, one young guy said, look, I'm a man of science and you're a man of religion. So like, let me just explain this to you. And so I went along with him and it was a really good, fun conversation. <laughs> and, and so, yeah. but it's, you know what, there's a, in Proverbs, uh, I, I forget the exact reference, but it says how, how, what a joy it is to give an apt answer at the right time. So I've, I've got the, I haven't said that exactly correctly, but it's something like that. And, and I find that when people have a question about faith and a question, especially about the, um, 
creation, God's creation, actually there's some really loud answers. God is speaking through creation. And when we reveal that to people, it's such fun and I really enjoy it. I can't help but draw attention to the thought that someone might be saying, I'm a man of science, you're a man of religion, yeah. almost as though that's a put down yeah. uh, with the assumption that if you're a man of religion, you might not know anything about science. Yes, yeah, exactly. And it was quite fun. It was great fun having that conversation um, with that particular young man. And and we got to talk about uh, the scientific method. And it's just there's so many places to go. And what, um, this article that I've written, I'm, I'm saying it's called DNA and Romans 1, Evangelism Essentials. And the reason I'm saying that is it's actually it's so much fun if we just have a little bit of information. And whilst, yes, I, I work in this and I do this day to day, it's my job. I work for Creation Ministries International. I think every Christian or especially every evangelist can be equipped with just some simple tools about talking about science and faith. So, for example, this man that said, I'm, I'm a man of science, you're a man of religion. And then he wanted to talk about the scientific method. And I thought, well, great, well, do you know where the scientific method came from? And it's like, well, there's a man named Francis Bacon. And in the 17th century, he came up with the scientific method. He was a creationist. He was a Christian. And, and why does the scientific method even work? Why would we expect to do get consistent results from the nature around us? Well, we need, we'd expect that if there was a Christian God, if there was the biblical God, because in the Bible we hear that God's consistent and he's made the laws of nature with a consistent nature. Whereas if you think about if one of the Greek gods was in charge, like Zeus or one of his pals or, or uh, one of the Hindu gods was in charge, well, they're often told to be capricious. You get a good God and a bad God. That, and so you'd expect creation not to be give consistent results. So the whole reason the scientific method came about was really out of the biblical worldview. It came out of the monasteries. And when you get people thinking, you say, well, where did the universities come from? Where did all the big universities, Cambridge, Oxford, all the famous universities in the world, or in Europe especially, well, they all came out of the Middle Ages, which some people call the Dark Ages, but they were not dark because the monasteries started doing the scientific method and they all came out of monasteries and they were theological colleges and then they became universities. So actually, people think science and faith, or well, they're opposed. Well, actually, no, science came out of faith. And just even being able to give a little bit of history like that is, is really fun as well. Now, not everyone is science-minded. Not everybody has the ability to put it all together. But is there a sense in which you can supercharge something of a proclamation of the gospel if you have a little bit of understanding about where God's word fits with the sorts of things that people might object to about, you know, putting their life in the hands of uh, Almighty God and uh, and following Jesus, who who they think is completely unscientific. So what I'm saying is, uh, you know, we're talking science and religion, but then within the religious side, uh, you've got the gospel. Some will say the proclamation of the gospel is the most important thing. The addition to that of a creation model, but does that creation model actually open doors and create opportunities for a proclamation of the gospel? I, I believe so, Neil, and I've, I've experienced that. And I, I think one of the biggest things is, um, and the reason I've, I've named this article DNA and Romans 1, is because in Romans one twenty it says, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. So God is saying that he has revealed himself. So yes, God is invisible because a lot of people on the street, they'll say, well, you know, prove to me God's real. I say, well, God is proving himself. And in Romans 1, it says he's proving himself through what? Through creation. 
So he's saying, the creation is saying, I made you, I made. And so often I'll, I'll tell people on the street, look at the tree over there. Um, and I say, look at that tree and look at yourself. You, you're both made of cells. That's, that's plant cells and you're made of biological cells. You've got 37 trillion cells in your body. They're reproducing. Um, they reproduce themselves. You reproduce yourselves. There's name one man-made thing that can do that. Think about the intricacy of the cell. And then we can talk about some really interesting things that we've found over the last 20, 30 years with the advances with the electron microscope and how we can see these tiny little organelles and cells and the complexity and the intricacy that are in them. Um, but often I, I lead the conversation on to something that is quite well known by most people, and that's a molecule right in the middle of the cell, which is DNA. And because people recognize what DNA is, and I say, look, there is some coded information on the inside of every single cell. Where did that information come from? I say, God, it's, this is evidence of a creator, of an intelligent creator. And he's speaking to you through all of creation that he's made things. And so really important, I imagine, to be able to identify those places in the scripture where, as you say, God is saying creation is a proof for who he is. And uh, and being able to think scientifically, as some people have a gift to do and others seem not, uh, this is one area where you don't just say, well, I only quote the scripture that, that creation proves God. Uh, somehow or other, if I've got a bit of a scientific mind, I might want to put some some flesh and some uh, organs within that skeleton and be able to tease that out so that I can really say as a gift from God that my ability might be able to to explain this creation issue. Yes, and you don't have to go in depth or too complicated. It depends. As you say, if you've got a bit of a scientific brain and you want to talk more about these things, then there's definitely opportunity. And it also depends on the person you're talking to, how much they're asking. Um, so there's a verse in the Bible, 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared to give an answer for the reason that you believe. And so this is an encouragement here to, to be prepared for these kind of conversations. So one thing, going back to the street, when I'm talking to people and I point out the tree and I point out themselves, sometimes I also point out a building and I say, look, did that building come here by accident? Because the majority of people take an atheistic viewpoint. I say, look, you know, you're saying that we came here by random chance, but look at that building. Could have that come by random chance? Say there was no builder. It just the materials, um, the silicon, the different elements in the bricks came together by accident, and there's the building. Is that possible? I say, no, of course it's not possible. That's not possible. I say, well, that building is testament to there being a builder. And then you can reflect back on yourself and look at the design within yourself. And I, I think um, we can, I think all of us can talk about DNA. I think every, my, my understanding is, I mean, you can correct me here, Neil, but my understanding is most people I speak to understand what I mean when I say DNA. Uh, most people might not be able to tell you the scientific terminology, but uh, True, if yeah. I were to, you know, deoxyribonucleic acid. Oh, very good. Uh, so, uh, you know, for even a, a novice uh, person in science, yes, I know what DNA actually stands for. Hey, I do want to invite listeners to join into our conversation. You might have a question, a comment, even a critique. I did say a little earlier, uh, mm. and I'm not sure whether, whether Scott heard this, no holds barred. Um, hit Scott with your hardest questions. Uh, this is one of those opportunities. So opening talkback lines on 1-800-316-316. i got to say, you know, Scott is familiar with all of the stuff that goes on with even an expanding universe. And uh, we've had conversations before about asteroids and uh, all sorts of scientific issues around where life 
came from, uh, from the evolutionist view and how we understand where life came from, from the Christian view of Genesis. We're back with more in just a few moments. 1-800-316-316. If you have primary school-aged kids or grandkids, we have some very exciting news. Vision Kids! Vision Kids is streaming now in the Vision app and online. For decades, Vision has broadcast Adventures in Odyssey as part of Kid Stuff every weekday. Thanks to your faithful support and prayers, that's now expanded to an online radio stream featuring a selection of world-class radio dramas, kids' music and friendly voices 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. 24-7 and just for us. Vision Kids is now streaming in the Vision app and online at visionkids.org.au. If you don't already have the app on your phone or tablet, you can download it for free when you search Vision Christian Media in your app store. We are the future. We are Vision Kids. This year, in Australia and around the world, many have suffered from the impact of disasters. Whenever disaster strikes, Samaritan's Purse stands ready to respond, bringing practical relief and recovery where it's most needed. When you select a gift from our Christmas catalogue at samaritanspurse.org.au, you enable us to provide meaningful assistance to a child, family or an entire community. Prayerfully consider giving this Christmas at samaritanspurse.org.au. Station sponsor. It takes a big family to keep vision on the air across Australia. Individuals, churches, and businesses like Edge Planning and Property, WA Planning Services. See edgeplanning.com.au. Life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. 1-800-316-316. If you'd like to join in our conversation today, you might have a question for our special guest. He's a geophysicist and he's a speaker and writer for Creation Ministries International. He loves the sorts of conversations we have around science and Bible, science and gospel. Uh, so if you've got a question, why don't you uh, hit our guest with it? I did say earlier, no holds barred. Uh, Scott Devlin is our guest. Scott, you've been spending a fair bit of time on the streets. You mentioned just before the break there, uh, you're uh, you know hovering around the CBD in Brisbane. And uh, I did want to just uh, you know ask you about that because I know that there are restrictions on Christian believers sharing their faith in the CBD and uh, and how you've sort of dealt with some of those sorts of things. Yeah, so I've had an interesting journey in finding out about that. As I was saying earlier, sort of lived here almost eight years now and have tried preaching in many spots in the CBD. And uh, just one thing before I get onto that is actually some people would say, oh, well, the... Uh, some people, even Christians, think, well, the preaching of the gospel like that is not an effective way. You know, it can offend people, et cetera, et cetera. But I'd love to share some testimonies later of, of, of we've seen actually it's very fruitful. People getting prayed for, saved, delivered, healed, like incredible things. But, yeah, in terms of the restrictions, what I've found is I, I, a number of times I've um, preached in Queen Street Mall. And that's a fantastic place. And the very last time I did it, um, I actually had hundred, probably about 100 people gather, wow. as a, as a, wow. and a lot of them young people, and just listening, and which is a lot more than usual, because <laughs> um, uh, I'm usually at King George Square. But when I was there, I had about 100 people listening, and then I had one of these uh, Brisbane Council stroke police people mm-hmm. come up and say, look, can you come down? And I, I actually got a ticket. 
So they asked for my name and address and they gave me a ticket and said, look, you know, if you're back here again, you get a $700 fine. And I said, look, you know, I, I was preaching without amplification. I tried to have a conversation because I'm uh, coming from the UK where it's, it's, you can preach in any public place. And I thought this is a public place. But apparently there's some restrictions uh, with the Queen Street Mall and some other public areas, even the center of King George Square, because they're owned by the city council. And I understand if it's a private property, like, for example, if I've preached in a, in a shopping mall before, I can get chucked out. It's their private property. They can choose what they want to do. But I, I do find this a little bit hard, and I would love to understand a little bit more, maybe from a lawyer or something, that what, what's, what is our rights there? Because it seems like, you know, a public place, there should be the freedom of speech. But I found that not to be the case. And you know, we won't uh, take a lot of time to dwell on this, but over the years, we've been seeing a tightening of authorities who are saying, this is, you know, out of bounds. Uh, if you want to share the gospel or hand out a tract, uh, you're not allowed to do that here. And of course, that is an issue around freedom of religion. Uh, a lot of people will say, you know, we'll happily let you preach and say whatever you want to within the four walls of that church. But, hey, come on to our uh, territory here and we're going to put a restriction on you. And so those sorts of things, they're a part of the battle that I know that a lot of our listeners uh, will have been supporting various initiatives at times to just say, hey, that's a attack on freedom of religion. But And it, just, to, just to take that moment to say that you've experienced that and you got a ticket, which I imagine means you got a fine, uh, which means almost like criminalizing the Christian believer sharing their faith. And that ought never happen. Hey, let's get back to our creation conversation, because some of the conversations you have on the outskirts of where you're able to share your faith, you, you've got a, a lot of stories about the sorts of things people are talking about. Yes. Yeah, it's it's great to get these questions. So often I've I found often with it, some people want to ask questions first and then they feel open to receive prayer or even receive some of the gospel. Um, and other times people need to have that encounter with God before they have the questions. So one example of this was, and this was maybe a, over a year ago, maybe even a year and a half ago now, I was with uh, my friend Michael in the city center. So we we're at King George Square at the speaker's corner section where where, where you are allowed to speak. <laughs> right, yeah. um, and whilst I was there, I was... I was preaching for about 20, 30 minutes and not really, really many people were listening. But we saw a group of youths with their skateboards off to the side and they were skateboarding around, not not listening. Um, but I thought, OK. And then I finished. and I was about to go and I saw my friend um, Michael and he I couldn't see him. I said, well, where's he gone? And then I saw him amongst this group of youth and he was talking to these youth and saying, look, have you got any needs that I can pray for? And uh, a few of them had some ailments from the skateboarding, uh, things like knee injuries and th and whatnot. And he prayed for three of them, and they all experienced a healing instantly there and then. Oh, and they, wow. were they were shocked, yes. absolutely shocked. And then they started asking questions. Then they started asking, what about the eight men? What about the millions of years? What about aliens? What about all these questions that um, are the creation, uh, creation evolution questions, which we deal with on a regular basis at Creation Ministries. So I found it very interesting that in that situation, they, these young teenagers, they needed to see God was real there and then. And then they said, okay, well, I, I've experienced, I've enc just encountered God, but what about these questions? And it was fun to be able to give them answers again. And so it's only a small part of evangelizing, I would say, being equipped with these answers. But I think it's an important part because people have the questions. Important part because, as we mentioned a little earlier, people are shaped through our school years and through university with this anti-God 
Darwinian paradigm, uh, the thought that if evolution is true, there must be no God. And so you're confronted by those sorts of things. How often does that name Darwin come up in your conversations? Oh, good question. Not not very much. Oh, so, no, sometimes, sometimes. But with the younger people, it's... I, I think what I'm finding with younger people these days is they're less... Um, they're less of a materialist or less of a naturalist where only the natural exists. And I think the younger generation is starting to realize that creation is speaking, but they're coming to other conclusions because the Christian faith is very much discredited on a number of other grounds. And so I think that's where we see the rise of new age beliefs and a lot of people saying they believe there's something out there. So just a couple of weeks ago, um, I was in King George Square again, and this time we had six or seven people trying to ask a question on the mic all at once, and it was really exciting. And there was one young girl, uh, she was in a school uniform, she'd just finished her year 12, and she'd ask a a couple of questions. And she actually came back um, about 10 minutes later, came back and said, look, she's enjoyed the conversation. She didn't actually say those words, but she said, look, I've just been thinking about this, and I'm, I'm about to go to Thailand to go into buddhism i'm going to go to a temple there and look into that but i i came from a christian background and now after this conversation i'm thinking what should i do and so that was really fun to see that she'd been um she'd encountered us and seen that actually there were some christians that had some interesting things to talk about that made sense of the world and maybe she was making the wrong decision in going to pursue buddhism at just 17 years old Making sense of the world, this is really, really important, isn't it? Because sometimes when you are considered religious, people think that you're completely unreasonable. So when you have scientists who have made sense of science and you've been able to understand what that means for your faith, it's not a detraction from your faith, but it's an enhancement to your faith when you have those things. And so people are then... Uh, able to make sense of their world because they're hearing someone uh, finally speaking some common sense. People are not hearing this necessarily in their local church, are they? Question that's been, you know, plaguing you for perhaps even many years. Why don't you make that call and get a response today? 1-800-316-316. We're also talking about uh, what you might be interested in as a combined creation evangelism. So a little dimension on evangelism. Sometimes we think about the proclamation of the gospel, uh, pure on its own, but when you've got a creation dimension in the mix, you might well be supercharging your opportunity to cut through, given that so many people these days are shaped by an anti-God Darwinian paradigm, having gone through their school years and into university, this is the anti-God way that people can sometimes feel as though they can reject this message of the gospel. So our special guest is Scott Devlin. He's a geophysicist. He's a speaker and writer for Creation Ministries International. Uh, His area of expertise, uh, not to be baffling anybody, but he's known for modelling velocity analysis for ground-penetrating radar and working with neurosurgeons and neurologists to accurately image and navigate the human brain and spine. Uh, those sorts of things sound quite complicated, don't they? So, um, you know, you that's why you say you there's no, it's no problems. Uh, any question is possible here because when you start dealing with the micro-measurements that you do, you start to get a different view on the world, no doubt. And uh, sometimes we are thinking that, 
all there is is what we see, but this micro world, this is a powerful element, isn't it? Yes, Scott? yeah, yeah, it is. And, and actually, I should probably stress that biology isn't my background. Um, my background's more physics, um, but but I, find, I think the biological world is very fascinating, especially for the Christian who believes the world is created because it's really the last, I mean, they call it the molecular revolution, you know, you could say the last 20, 30 years or even the last century when we've had this drastic development in imaging techniques. I mean, you look at Darwin's time when Darwin was around the 19th century, released the book, The Origin of Species in 1859. Um, when we thought about the cell then, we just thought it was a blob of jelly. All we had was uh, cameras with these, with increase, you could um, big focal lengths and try and look at the cell. But um, in, the 19- in the 20th century, we got the microscope and then more recently, we got the electron microscope. And now we can see down to that nanometer level and we can see the incredible intricacies that are in the cell. There's, um, you've got the mitochondria and in there you've got the powerhouses of the cell and you've got little motors in the cell that um, they look, you know, they're very efficient motors. Some of them 30, 40% efficient motors. Um, you've got the nucleus and what we're talking about inside the nucleus, you've got the DNA. And again, it was only... Um, in the 20th century, they had Watson and Crick who found the double helix structure of DNA. And we've more recently mapped the whole human genome. It was only 2003 that the Human Genome Project mapped the 3 billion letters, the 3 billion um, base pairs within the DNA. So within every single cell, Ken, as I said earlier, we've got 37 trillion cells in the nucleus. There's six foot, six feet long worth of DNA all wrapped up. And, you know, even the wrapping, the way it's wrapped and the shape of its wrapping contains information. It's um, now three billion letters sounds like a lot, but it's not a lot when you compare it to computer code. But when you talk about the efficiency of the information that's in there, you can read it forwards, you can read it backwards, you can splice it, you can dice it and you can get different information. And so they're talking about there being millions of proteins that this DNA codes for. So it's an incredibly efficient storage mechanism. And all these wonders we're only finding out recently. And so I think the molecular evolution or the discoveries that have been made in biology, specifically molecular biology, because of the advances of imaging techniques, shows us loud and clear there is a creator. He's made you very intricately. Every single cell has nanomachines in it that could only be created by a designer. So the opposite is true to what a lot of people tend to feel, uh, that as knowledge and science gets even more complex, somehow or other that's supposed to leave God out of the picture. Uh, What you're describing here is you get into this micro world and that actually is a bigger evidence for God than against Hey, we're taking calls. 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call. Peter is in Mitcham in Victoria. Hey, Peter, welcome along. Thank you. What are your thoughts, Peter? Um, I've been thinking that um, you know, evolutionists usually say that, um, you know, first of all, there was um, nothing, and then there was something that came out of nothing, which is pretty unscientific. But then they say that, that dead atoms became alive, and then eventually they um, uh, evolved upwards, and eventually you got intelligent life. And yet, when you look at it, when you look at DNA, you've got to realise that 
as as Scott was saying, that there are all these hundreds and hundreds of nanomachines in even the simplest life, and they're all designed. But not only that, evolutionists say that you know intelligence was the last thing that came along because you know simple cells are are dumb things; they can't think, and only um, you know, sort of higher animals and, and man can really think and reason. So I think that intelligence is actually present right at the start, right before life began. Peter, what so a wonderful insight you're bringing here. We tend to put the cart before the horse, you're thinking, because uh, we've got intelligence in the wrong place. <laughs> People are thinking in a... Uh, in an evolutionary sense, that intelligence is the thing that comes when there is some level of early development. But uh, you're saying, got that round the wrong way, uh, put the horse in front of the cart, and you recognise that intelligence has to be there first, not last. What are your thoughts here, Scott? Yeah, thanks for the call, Peter. And that's a great insight to say, okay, well, it looks like there was intelligence before intelligence got to evolve. So where did that intelligence come from? And, and that's that's the basic question. Another thing Peter was pointing out there, which is insightful, is there's a number of barriers for the evolution story to work. Now, often when we think about evolution, we just think about biological evolution because, you know, that was what was popularized in the 19th century by Darwin and his colleagues. But for biological, for the materialist who thinks only natural processes exist, you've got to go further back than biological evolution. At some point, you've got to go from atoms to living molecules. And that's a great miraculous step there because we were talking about the complexity of the cell. It's like, well, how do you get a single-celled organism? Well, there's so many complicated machines and um, complicated molecules interacting with one another. It's, um, to use a term that Michael Behe said, it's irreducibly complex. And and, and it's very difficult. You can't go from, uh, some people say, dumb atoms to living cells. That's a very difficult barrier. And Peter also mentioned at the very start, well, um, you go back, you've got cosmic evolution at the very start. How did you get something from nothing? Um, and again, a, another good question to put to the evolutionist. Peter, anything further to add? No, I just like to uh, end with saying that uh, I haven't got enough faith to be an evolutionist. Mm. <laughs> Hey, wonderful to hear from you, Peter. Thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. You know, when we talk about the complexity, I know that lots of us who might remember from our high school science classes at the periodic table, and when you say atoms have to become molecules and the molecular structure in all of those elements in the periodic table, that's all very, very detailed and structured. Uh, so much more than something simplistic. Yeah, so you've got the element, a lot of people probably remember the periodic table and there's a lot of different elements in there. Um, so think about oxygen and carbon. I mean, carbon's the main molecule of life because it's um, it's of the way that it binds with other with other elements. But And so you can get molecules. You can get, even get amino acids by chance, which are, a large, larger molecules. But the issue is, can you go from molecules to living cells? And that's and that's where there seems to be this unbridgeable gap. Um, and there's someone who's popularizing this as an issue at the moment is a, is a scientist named James Tor. 
and you might have heard of him or seen him on YouTube. And he's, he's trying to he's a uh, a chemist and he's trying to show the origin of life community. So there's a community, uh, academic community that research this that say, well, how did elements come be- become living cells? And he's trying to point out to them, you're trying and you're trying, but you're never going to manage it. And you've got some of these origin of life researchers and they're saying we've almost got it. But what they're doing is they're putting a lot of their intelligence in their lab coats to make this incredible experiment to try and make something that's a living cell out of elements. And they still can't do it, even with their intelligence. But even if they did it, it wouldn't be a setup that was like at the beginning of this primordial earth that where you had this warm pond and these chemicals just spontaneously came together. So some of the things that this guy James Tor is pointing out is that you have to have the elements in the right abundance, the right concentration, um, even to get these macromolecules, let alone a living cell. So the big jump to make is from a molecule or um, to a living cell. That That's the jump that just it doesn't seem like it's possible. And there's even a new science called atomic biology. And I've had a guest on a number of times talking about that too, which is very, very significant. Hey, taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Let's take another call. Matthew is in Brisbane. Hey, Matthew. Good morning. How are we, gentlemen? Very well. What very are your good. thoughts? Thanks, um, yeah, I, yeah, I'm not sure this is a question or a statement really, but I... Watched a video, um, it was actually a presentation done at a, a church I was visiting, and they showed this video that claimed to be uh, what you were saying about uh, looking at the cell at that um, uh, that sort of micro level, these what looked like machines that were sort of working within um, the individual cell itself. And which now I can't remember whether they, I think I, he might have said that was a, an animation of what they saw or I can't remember exactly but this, the footage that we were watching was just it was out of this world to think that that's what the cells were made up of and I guess where my question is um, I heard many years ago that um, scientists are actually a little bit confounded as to you know, why humans die, which comes back to um, where God said, how long will I contend with man and limited, um, you know, how long we live on the earth. But is it true that the cells regenerate themselves at that nano level? Like, is that, is that like, was that information I was given correct based on this sort of everything that I've seen in that video? And Okay, I think, uh, yes, let's pass over to Scott here. Cells regenerating and uh, even to the point of asking those big philosophical questions too, uh, which are science-connected, why do we die, all those sorts of things. Your thoughts here, Scott? Um, Well, I mean, cells regenerate themselves and so within the different components will regenerate as well. And so, the, um, I mean, it's, it's just incredible to think you've got here a cell You've got this living system that can... Re- I mean, so even in us that are older and we're not growing anymore, our cells are still reproducing. And, and you're right, we, you know, as we... I mean, there's many reasons for, for death, but the, the reproduction of those cells becomes less efficient as we get older. And um, one thing that's quite interesting is our, uh, the mitochondria, which I think I mentioned earlier, which is a certain organelle within the cell, one of these... Uh, small little organelles and within them um, you have the production of ATP synthase which is where we get our um, 
ATP is the energy, that what gives us energy. And we notice as we get older, that gets less efficient, that process. And that's why we have less energy when we're older. Um, so our mitochondria wearing out. But the very fact that a cell can reproduce itself, even in our older age, I just think is incredible. It's not... It, it, yeah, we, I mean, humans, we haven't created anything like that. Uh, maybe we've got a robot that can reproduce another robot, um, but not with the same level of complexity that we see inside the cell. So, yeah, those animations, I'd really encourage people uh, to look up some of those animations. Just look up um, cellular biology or look up uh, ATP synthase or um, micro machines within the cell, nano machines inside the cell. There's a lot of animations now based on, as I was talking about earlier, the advances in electron microscopy and other imaging techniques, we can see these little machines and we can see, even see them in real time working. And they're just incredible. I mean, even the most basic thing, like a bacteria, they, ha they have what uh, on the end of it you call a bacterial flagellum, which is like an outboard motor. And it works like a motor. And we didn't know this, you know, 30, 40 years ago. But now we know there's these little motors. And so the bacteria swims. The way the ba uh, bacteria swims is it has a tail and the tail whips around. And on the end of the tail, or the end of the tail that connects to the actual bacterial body, you have a motor, and it, you can see the gears. And some of these gears, the size of them, you're talking uh, nanometers, less than nanometers. Uh, well, they say 75 ang angstroms width, so it's like 7.5 nanometers. Now, a nanometer is, a, is uh, 10 to the minus 9 of a meter, so it's a billionth of a meter. Um, and so you have these tiny little gears and tiny little motors. And I would really encourage people, just look that up on YouTube, see some of these animations. They really show God's design on that cellular level. Uh, Matthew, anything further to add? Yeah, I'd just um, just very quickly, the part, part of my the thing I love about this sort of science and the fact that we're getting, you know, we're getting into this and getting into God's creation, I've got... Um, my youngest daughter has a rare genetic disorder, and if it wasn't for some of the advances made in this field, we would never have known what her diagnosis was. She was born, um, she was born without part of the DNA, so she's not growing. She doesn't grow or develop at a normal rate, and she, like many other, um, you know, people that had these diagnoses, would have just been written off. They would have been thrown in the too hard basket. But because of work especially scientists you know in this world do it just it gives um you know it gives answers to you know some of these things that which god then sort of uses to help us deal with you know the 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 the, the day to day so i just yeah i just wanted to really applaud this this is a great topic i'm enjoying this so i'm gonna go and let everyone so someone else call in but yeah that was that's all i wanted to say Hey, uh, fabulous to hear from you. Uh, one last, you wanted to just. Yeah, add I was just going to say thank you for sharing that. And and you know, it's it's such a, it's an awful thing we've got to contend with um, this genetic de degradation. And um, because we live in a fallen world, because and not not because of what God originally intended, but because of what ad what our forefathers chose, what Adam and Eve chose, they chose to rebel against God in the garden. We have um, sickness and disease in this world, and part of that is the genetic degradation. And even that points to um, uh, points to the design being good, because if we're here by random chance, then um, you would you'd imagine okay, natural selection is going to keep improving things and improving things. But what we see is a break, and so what's happening the DNA in your daughter's DNA is not what it should have been. 
And praise God, we do have some of these scientific advances because that's part of alleviating the curse, which Jesus demonstrated by healing people that, you know, that's what we should be doing. So because of some of these scientific advances, we can alleviate the curse. But the very fact that we have genetic degradation points to the original design being good and there being a a break in it. Matthew, thank you so much for your call. And I've got to put a line under any calls now, just a few more minutes remaining, but I don't want to miss something really important here because when we're having a conversation like this, Scott, um, bringing out the scientific foundations for how a creationist understands you can see God in his reality by looking at creation. And uh, we can look at uh, you know various scriptures like at Romans chapter 1 uh, or in Psalm 19. But there's another dimension here uh, that some might be thinking, well, ought I get to know some more of this? Should I uh, increase my skills in a particular scientific area that maybe I you know, used to be really bright in and somehow I might have lost a little bit of an edge and maybe should get that back? There's a thought from 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4 about the pulling down of strongholds and somehow or other not neglecting the opportunity that we have here to be able to put a defense for God. That's what apologetics is, isn't it? Making a defense for God, for the gospel. What are your thoughts here for listeners who might be thinking, this is an area I need to engage more deeply with? Yeah, I think this is this particular verse is very encouraging for me. And I would want to encourage believers that, yes, be equipped with the gospel, first of all. Understand the gospel, first for yourself and then for others. Okay, well, what what's the gospel? Well, it's we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we all need a savior. And Jesus paid the price for sin on a cross that we who would um, forget our old life, we who would repent and turn from our sins and follow him could have eternal life and have the remission of our sins we could be forgiven for our sins so this is you need to know okay is it a four-point gospel three whatever it is three point four point gospel we need to know that but i would say this is almost like the next tool in today's age because um people won't even consider a god if they think that everything came here by chance they've already been sold a very strong lie a strong delusion we've been taught it since we were young in schools that we came here by accident. We're here by random chance. And therefore, really, if we've been sold that lie, we believe another lie, which is what we do doesn't really matter. So if we're going to say to someone, your life matters and what you do matters and God is real, then we sometimes need to bring down this lie. And I'll just read it, the um, passage. So it's 2 Corinthians ten four to 5. It says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Now, I would want to put it uh, to you now and to the listeners that I believe um, evolution is one of the greatest arguments, one of the greatest strongholds that's um, put up against the knowledge of God. And as Christians, if we can be equipped to tear it down, we're going to enable a clear way for the gospel to go through. Now, I would say it's one of the greatest things because, you know, we might think of gender fluidity or homosexual marriage or some of these social issues about being the big things at the moment. And I would say, yes, they are big things. But what's the foundation? The foundation is we're here by accident. We make our own choices. The foundation is an evolutionary worldview. Now, if we can be equipped with a few of these things, we can bring down the barriers and let the gospel come through. 
Well, I've got to say farewell in just a few moments, but to come back to creation.com, uh, more than 10,000 articles there, searchable when you go on to creation.com, and really across whatever topic you wanted to talk about, there's probably something there in the archive. Uh, this is a pretty well-utilised uh, facility you've got there. It's really, it it's empowers people, doesn't it? Yeah, we've got um, over 5 million unique visitors per year to the site. And there's a search bar, as you say there, and just use that search bar, type your question in. A great thing I would suggest to people, if they're in a conversation with a friend, a colleague, or someone that you're evangelizing or talking to God about, and they come up with a question that you don't know the answer to, you can simply say, look, that's a really good question. I would like to understand more about that question. Can I come back to you? Can I just um, do a bit of research and come back to you maybe tomorrow? And quickly that night you can go there. You can type in your question into the search bar creation.com. And as you say, you're, you're going to find an answer. for your, the, I mean, all the majority of the main questions are answerable on there. And you can look at that page, read that page, go to the person the next day. In fact, we got some incredible testimonies about this. There's one guy who wrote into us and he said um, it was 26 years ago. He became a Christian, looked into the creation evangelism issue, talked about it at the dinner table. His son would listen as he was growing up. His son got to year 10 in the biology class and um, he came back from his biology class. and He said, Dad, they're teaching us evolution in school. And he said, son, you know what the truth is? Just, you know, pass your exams, give them what they want. He came back the next after the next biology lesson and he said, Dad, I couldn't help myself. I had to say something. And what ensued was a two-week classroom debate between that young man and the biology teacher. And uh, this the, the father wrote in, his name was Vin, he wrote in, he said, um, your webs, uh, the biology teacher was no match for your website's resources. <laughs> um, but the most amazing yes. thing about this, I'll just tell it about this, uh, testimony is that the son uh, what some of the colleagues some of the son's classmates will come up to him after the class and say look what you're saying makes a lot more sense than what the teacher's saying and so they weren't bold enough to speak up in class but they heard the gospel through the son so by equipping our families we can end up sending our kids as evangelists into their schools and the event, uh, the uh, evolutionary argument is not a watertight, uh, all-holds-together argument. And uh, you do so well, Scott, and the team at Creation Ministries, uh, the way you're able to bring into uh, the real questions that real people are asking, uh, the creation uh, message. And, of course, that leads to an opportunity to be able to share the gospel message. Creation.com is the website you can go to. Check out that facility. Um, yeah, you know what? Um, the archive at creation.com. Uh, the biology teacher will be no match for it. So creation.com. Uh, Scott Devlin, thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts once again with us today on 2020. Thanks, Neil. Great to be with you here again. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 